Community teachers and volunteers are dismissed. All right. I'm glad she said that because I would have probably forgotten. <laughs> okay. um, it's a privilege to be able to, uh, to speak to you this morning. Uh, I was uh, just uh, thankful to Darren for giving me the opportunity. Um, I know that Darren is um, enjoying time with his family in Searcy. Uh, he and Becca are enjoying time with their daughter in Searcy. And um, I know that they're, uh, we need to be praying for them that they have safe travels back um, back here to, to, uh, to Springfield. My message uh, this morning is something that has been uh, near to my heart and to Olivia's heart um, recently, of, of recent months. Um, and I think it's something that is sort of in the same vein of what Darren has been talking about um, in past weeks. Um, the idea of, 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 of what it means to do everyday mission. And part of doing that everyday mission means I have to trust in God, right? I have to trust that His plan is, you know, is greater than anything that, anything that I might plan for my life, and that my, my mission is really just a, is just a small part in His overall mission that He has, uh, that he has for, for, for His kingdom and for the world. And when it comes to trusting God, one of the reasons that I think many times we uh, maybe have trouble trusting God is uh, a lack of clarity. You know, I don't know about you, but I have never had a Macedonian call moment like Paul had, uh, where God just appeared to him, you know, in a vision and said, I want you to go to this place, uh, do X, Y, or Z, very specific instructions. Um, I would venture to guess that probably many of us had not had a, this, a moment like that where, you know, we just had this grand vision um, of God just appearing to us and telling us specifically, do this, this, or this. More often than not, when we talk about the calling of God, it's something, it's something, uh, something deeper than that. We, we talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about we are moved by the Spirit. Um, and the lack of clarity, oftentimes, at least for me, may cause, you to ha- cause me to have regrets. Uh, or, or second thoughts is probably a better way of saying it. You know, well, you know here I am doing this thing, uh, but, you know, maybe I should have been over here doing, you know, doing this other thing. You know, how do I know that what I'm doing is what God has called me to do? Um, I've had questions like that. I've thought about that before, and, I'm, and maybe perhaps you have as well. And so this... Uh, it really, in some ways, it can, it can paralyze us, and it can make us feel as if, um, as if maybe, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe this is not where I'm supposed to be. And so, how do we trust God in that process? How do we trust that uh, we are doing what He has called us to do? Uh, it's one thing to say that we trust God and to say I have faith in God. It's another thing to really believe that and live your life in the reality of that trust. And so trusting God can be a problem. And then beyond that, even if I get to the point where I trust God, how can I trust myself? Because ultimately, I'm, if, if anybody is going to falter in this relationship, it's not going to be God, it's going to be me. And I know my own weaknesses and my own faults. And so how can I trust myself? 
The life of, uh, of Abraham sheds a lot of light on this issue. And Abraham is somebody that I've been thinking about a lot uh, these past months. Um, Abraham is a guy who experienced trial after trial after trial in his life, and yet he never, uh, you know, he, he never fell in his faith. In fact, what we see is the exact opposite. We see a growth in faith. We see uh, the more uh, challenges he faces in life, the more times his faith is put to the test, his faith, uh, his faith grows. It just continues to grow. It continues to deepen. In fact, his defining characteristic could be faith. Um, Paul uh, dedicates an entire chapter of the book of Romans to, uh, to talking about the faith of Abraham. And the key verse is taken from Genesis 15, verse 6, where it says that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. If you, if you were to take a summary of the life of Abraham, it could be that verse, Genesis 15, 6. It's the verse that Paul repeats over in Romans chapter 4. Abraham was known for his faith. He was known to the Jewish community uh, during the time of Jesus and Paul for his faith. Uh, he is known by us today for his faith, his great faith. Another passage um, that I want to draw a, a big part of the lesson this morning from is Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, it, it, talks about the, um, it talks about how his faith, it's, it's really the root of his faith. What is it that he that causes him, that allows him to, to trust in God. And what we find in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 15, uh, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And then the amazing part is a few verses later in verse 19, and this is the imagery that I want, to, I want you to have in your mind throughout this lesson, the, this image of an anchor. And what it says in the text there in verse 19 is that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, an anchor that is firm, that is secure. Now, an anchor, if, um, you know, the, the function of an anchor, the purpose of an anchor is to keep a boat afloat, essentially, in, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of, a, you know, uh, when, when the storm hits. And, and in, in Jesus' day, there would have been, uh, especially you think of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, how, how, many how many stories take place on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm, right? It seems like every time they go there, there's a storm that, that hits. And so um, an anchor would have been the thing that would keep you from getting just, just blown off course um, or, or, or blown off or blown out of the way um, in the middle of that storm, in the middle of this, uh, of this flood. I, um, Olivia and I, we, you know, we, we lived in Brenham, Texas before uh, we came to East Sunshine, and Brenham is only about an hour from Houston. And so a couple years ago, you know, we got, when Hurricane Harvey hit that area, um, that was a, you know, there are a lot of images on the news and the TV, and that was just right down the road from us where that was happening. And to me, it's, it's amazing. Water is a funny thing because we all need water to survive, right? It's the one thing that you need to live day after day, and yet enough water can be destructive and can be absolutely devastating. Um, I remember images of Roads, for example, that had just been washed away. 
And it, it's, it's amazing how, you know, these roads that were built to sustain, uh, you know, the weight of 18-wheeler trucks day after day after day, and yet enough water can just totally demolish a road like that. It's really incredible to think about. Um, power lines uh, that, that, that had been knocked down. There's an image of some, some power lines um, that had just been totally uh, destroyed by, uh, by this flood. And we actually lived in Houston from 2012 to 2015. And so we know that when it rains, it very quickly will flood. You know, within 10 minutes of a, of a downpour, the street that we lived on was just totally flooded. Um, flash flooding is, uh, is, is very common in, uh, in, in the Houston area. And I remember when Hurricane Harvey happened, it was, you know, all, all of Houston was pretty much flooded, uh, pretty much destroyed. So the question is, when this, the point of all of this, the inevitable reality of life is that we will, at some point, experience a flood. We will be caught in the, in the middle of a downpour, and a, a spiritual downpour. And so the question is, what's going to keep me from being blown away? What's going to keep me from being washed away by, this, by these strong currents of water? The original question, how do I know I can trust in God? Well, the alternative to trusting in God is trusting in something else or someone else. You can't be neutral to the idea of trust. You can't say, ah, I don't trust anything. There is something that you will inevitably find yourself depending on or going to for, to give you confidence in life or to, or, to, or to rest upon in life. And if it's not God, then it's going to be something else. Maybe, maybe you, you trust in yourself. You know, maybe I trust in my own abilities, my own gifts, my own uh, set of skills or a talent that I have. Maybe I trust in my, my reputation that I, have, that I have worked so hard to maintain, to uphold. Maybe I trust in someone else. Maybe it's a relationship with uh, a best friend or a, um, a spouse or a mentor figure. Um, it could be, it could be uh, any relationship like that that I put my trust in. Maybe it's a circumstance. It could be I trust in uh, a job that I have. I trust in this club or this activity that I'm involved with, uh, this, uh, this hobby that, I, uh, that I'm invested in. It could be any number of things that we trust in. The problem is that all of those things are infinitely less reliable than, than God. Uh, and when we trust in those things, it is the spiritual equivalent of having our anchor just dangling in the water. It does no good dangling in the water. Because the waters, we, we've seen what the destructive power of waters. We've seen what water, uh, fast-moving water is able to do. An anchor just dangling in the water is not going to be very effective. The anchor has to go all the way down. It has to find... Uh, find itself grounded in the rocks or the sand below the water. And that's what it is to, uh, to put our faith in the promises of God. That's what Abraham was able to, to figure out how to do in his life, um, as we read in Hebrews. And that's what we need to figure out how to do. How are we going to do this? How are we going to anchor ourselves into the promises of God? I want to examine the life of Abraham 
um, sort of take a, a step back on a macro level, his life, and then we'll zoom in to Genesis 15 specifically. But Abraham's life, uh, there's really, uh, there's, in Genesis, is from Genesis 12 to about 25. That's kind of the narrative of Abraham. And in, the, in these chapters of Genesis, uh, there, are a, there are a handful of what you could call key moments where his faith is really put to the test, all right? And I want to just kind of want to briefly walk through some of these moments. Uh, the first one is right from the get-go, Genesis 12. This is when God calls Abram, and he tells Abram, I want you to go out of your country. I want you to go to another land that I will show you. Leave your people, leave your family, leave everything that you know, and I want you to go, uh, go to a place. I'm not going to tell you where it is, by the way. I'll show you where it is along the way. So Abram is 75 years old at this time, very well established in his, in his home country, Ur of the Chaldeans, and he is, uh, I'm sure he is, you know, this is where he's lived his, you know, the, the majority of his life at the, at the least. He is established there. He has, uh, he has land in Ur, and God tells him, I want you to leave. I'm not even going sh- to tell you where you're going. You just have to trust me. An amazing amount of faith that is being asked of Abram in this, in this episode. And yet, he follows through. Does exactly what God tells him to do. Uh, he leaves his land. And God, in this, in this time, God begins to make these promises to Abraham. And one of those is, I'm going to make you a great nation. Right? I'm going to make your name known through, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, there are two physical problems with this. this is a, it is a spiritual nation that he's promising, but it's, it's also a very literal nation, the nation of Israel that's going to come from this. There are two problems, though, two things that are needed to make a great nation uh, that Abram is lacking. And one of those is land. You have to have land, right? Uh, back then, you have to have land in order to be a great nation. Well, God promises promises him a land. Um, the caveat, though, is you will never actually inherit the land in your lifetime. You know, uh, it's not going to come until I give it to your descendants, you know, 400 plus years later. Uh, they're going to go down to Egypt, be enslaved for a little while, and then I'm going to bring them out into this land. And so Abram is, or God is asking a lot of Abram here um, in Genesis 15 uh, when, he at, when he tells him, I want you to live in the reality that you will inherit this land, even though you yourself are not going to be around to witness it. It's not going to come for 400 years, but that's the reality that you need to, that you need to, to cling to and to live in. The other problem, or the other thing that's lacking is, in order to have a great nation, you need to have a, an offspring, and Abram, Abram doesn't have one. And so God promises him a child. In fact, he spends, you know, from the time that he is called, he's about 75, and the time he finally actually has this child, he's 100 years old. 25 years Abraham spent waiting for this child to come along. And, you know, the, the first of those years, he's 75. He is already, you know, the the chances of him having a child are already at a minimum, uh, at, the, at the most. And it only every passing year that that, that would have gone on, the chances of Abram 
having an offspring at his age would have only uh, decreased significantly. And yet he has faith through all of this, right? He has faith. God's going to provide. God's promised me a child. He will give me a child. And then we fast forward to Genesis 22, um, and God appears to Abraham a few years later, and he puts his faith to the ultimate test. He says, I want you to take that child that, that I've given to you, that through whom all the nations of the earth will be promised, I want you to take him up on top of a mountain and sacrifice him. And if you read, the, if you read the, what the Hebrew, Hebrew writer says about this, uh, this account, Hebrews tells us that Abraham fully intended on going through with this. He fully intended on killing his own son uh, because he reasoned that, well, even if I kill him, God, even though I've never seen him do this, God will raise him from the dead. He, that was the faith that Abraham had that God would raise his son from the dead because he knew that that was the child of promise. Now, this is where I, I, I don't think I can relate to Abraham because I, I, I don't have that kind of faith. I, I don't think I would be able to do that if I were in Abraham's shoes, to be perfectly honest. Uh, that is a huge—and this is why Abraham is highlighted for his faith because I think he's— he, he, in some ways, he's in a class of his own. I don't know how many would be able to, uh, to do the things that Abraham, uh, that Abraham did, the things that God was asking of him. And yet he did. And he was known for his faith because of, these, because of his commitment to God. Uh, the one way, though, that I can relate to Abraham, and that I think perhaps many of us can, is in every episode where his faith is put to the test, not only does he triumph, but every episode um, is, is, is such that God is asking him to do something where there are so many unknown variables to Abraham. There are so many things that God is either not revealing or is choosing to reveal at a later time, and yet he asks Abraham to trust him. I can relate to that. Um, I, I mean, I, I'll tell the story of just kind of how Olivia and I and Auburn Inley, how we came to be here at this church is an example of that in East Sunshine. Uh, back in September, when we, uh, when we first realized uh, that this position was available, and we began, we began praying about it at that time, and we were sort of in a position where it was not um, ideal for us to be looking for another church to go to. Uh, we were perfectly comfortable in Brenham. We were happy in Brenham. We had friends that, are, that were lifelong, irreplaceable friends in Brenham. And we knew that if, you know, if we were to leave, that it would be very difficult for us to do that. Uh, it would be very emotionally difficult for us. Um, and it would be going to a place where there are a lot of unknowns uh, versus being in Brenham where we, we were very well established and we we sort of knew what, what, you know, what life was going to be like in Brenham. And so through that whole process, we, you know, eventually after praying about it, we realized, you know, this is an opportunity, um, and we're going to, I'm going to put an application in, and, you know, we'll pray about it, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how the Lord moves us in this situation. Um, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of trust. At some point, we had to trust in God. We had to trust that we will be where God needs us to be, that, uh, you know, that the Spirit will guide us. 
And whether that's in Brenham or at East Sunshine or, or some other place, uh, but we were willing to take that leap of faith and to, and to step out in faith. The kind of faith that Abraham had is a scary faith um, because of the unknowns, because so many variables that are, that are not revealed. And yet it's because of those unknown variables that I think his faith was able to grow as deep as it did. Because in those unknowns, he had to fully be totally dependent on God. And that's where, that's where your faith really grows. So God, and I want to turn now to Genesis 15. This is where we'll spend the, just the remainder of the lesson this morning. Genesis 15. God has made these promises uh, to Abram. Go out of your country. Go, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land, a child. Um, and I want you to live as if everything I'm promising you is the reality. Despite the unknown variables, I want you to live as if this is your reality. And Abraham, um, or Abram as he's, as he's called in Genesis 15 at the time, Abram asked the question in verse 8, which is a very reasonable question, um, but one that we might be surprised that, that he would ask, considering his great faith that he's known for. He asked the question, essentially, how do I know that I am to possess this land that you tell me of? How can I trust you, God? How do I know this, that this, to be, that this is that you are faithful and you will keep your promises. Now, how many of you have ever told your, uh, uh, your, your children the phrase, because I said so? Anybody ever said that? Probably many of us uh, have, at one point or another have uttered the phrase, because I said so. You know, why can't I go play outside? Because I said so. Right, there's no explanation given, just because I said so. You might expect God in a case like this, to, to tell Abraham, because I said so. I mean, what do you, why, why are you asking me, the Almighty God, if you can trust me? Um, haven't I, I mean, I mean, I'm God. I don't have to explain myself to you. Um, in fact, what's interesting is you'd be very hard-pressed to find many occasions where, where God essentially says to people, because I said so. Um, he, God is, for the most part, he's not a because I said so God. Uh, if somebody is asking him a question or somebody is seeking uh, to grow deeper in his faith, God is perfectly willing to, in many cases throughout the Bible, to, to meet that person halfway because he wants that person to grow in faith, right? He wants that person to, to grow stronger. And so in this case, God is, is not going to say, just, just trust me because I said so. In fact, God is going to demonstrate. God is going to give him a reason to trust him. He's going to answer his question. And here's what we find. This is the answer to, to the question. He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. All right, so a perfectly reasonable answer to the question of how, can, how do I know I can trust you, right? Um, we, read, we read that and we think, did you hear the question? What? That doesn't seem like an appropriate answer to this question. But Abraham knew exactly what was going on. It says, Abraham brought him all of these things. He cut them in half and he laid each half against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
Um, now, when we read that, we probably either we're scratching our heads, or if you're, you know, if you're reading the Bible sort of all the way through and you get to this chapter, if you're like me, what I've done in the past is I just kind of just read right through it and just, I don't know what that's about. That's kind of weird. And I just keep on going to chapter 16. Um, but if you really sort of dive down deep into see what's going on here, Abraham knew exactly what this was about, right? He, he actually, he brings these animals and he begins doing these things that God did not tell him to do. He didn't tell him to cut these animals, but Abraham knew exactly what to do, almost as if it was, you know, ritualistic or some sort of routine. And in fact, that's exactly what's happening. Um, in this time period, uh, this would have been a, a form of a covenant. This would have been a, maybe a better way to say this is uh, to, to adapt it to modern day standards. Uh, this is signing a contract. Um, this is, you know, a contract, a written contract that we sign our name to has more power than a word of mouth agreement. Because a word of mouth agreement, if, you know, if you, if you break what you said, uh, Verbally, well, there's really not, not a whole lot of accountability to it. But if you sign your name to a document, sign your name saying, uh, you know, this X, I will do X, Y, and Z. I will not do X, Y, or Z. Um, if you sign your name to something, then what you're communicating is that I will be held legally accountable for the things that I am signing my name to. Right? And if I violate the terms of this contract... I will be willing to face, you know, whatever consequences or penalty uh, is, is going to, to come from that. Contract has a lot more, has more power in that sense than a simple word-of-mouth agreement. And so the question that Abraham asks, how do I know that you will keep your promises? How do I know I will possess the land? God tells him, well, let's make it official, right? I'll put my name down. I'll sign my name to it. Essentially, I'll sign on the dotted line. And I will guarantee that I will keep my promises to you. All right, easy enough. Uh, now, this particular uh, covenant is, again, it seems pretty odd to us what exactly is happening. We actually have another example of it in Jeremiah 34 uh, of this kind of covenant taking place. But it's um, in Jeremiah 34, for example, you have the leaders of Judah who have violated this kind of covenant. And what God actually says to them is that the leaders of Judah, the priests, and the people who walked between the pieces of the calf, I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. Uh, very, very vivid imagery. Um, but what was happening was, in these days, if you wanted to essentially make a covenant, you didn't sign a piece of paper. Uh, nobody knew how to read or write back then, probably, uh, is the one reason for that. But another reason, I think, is just the vivid reminder of what would happen if I violate the terms. And it, essentially, they would act out the consequences of violating these, the terms of this contract. And so in the case in Jeremiah, these people who made this covenant with God had violated their terms and when you walk between the pieces of these animals that are, that are laid to the side, cut in half, essentially what you were saying was, if I violate these terms, may, may I suffer the fate of these animals around me. Very vivid reminder, always in the back of your head, um, of what will happen 
what you are pledging will happen if you violate this, co- this, this covenant. Um, and so Abram knew what was going on, at least he thought he knew, but uh, I don't think he, he knew exactly how uh, this was going to turn out. So as we continue our story, we see as the sun, back in Genesis 15, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. All right, so he's going into this deep sleep. He's about to have this trance or this vision from God. Um, And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. So God tells Abram, All right, I will give you a child. I will give you a nation, a land. Uh, It's going to be in 400 years, but all of this that I'm promising you will come to bear. And then the amazing verse is verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now the images of this fire pot and this torch, um, it's it's the same words in the Hebrew that are used to describe the presence of God. Uh, On Mount Sinai, the, the smoky presence of God that we see at the top of Sinai as the children of Israel being led out of, the Egypt, uh, out of Egypt. Uh, they're led by this pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire uh, by night. Same, same terms that are being used to describe this presence of God. And they're used right here in Genesis 15 uh, in what's translated as this smoking pot or oven and a flaming torch. And what do we see, these, what do we see the presence of God doing in this passage? That's the amazing thing. It's passing between these pieces. This is God communicating to Abraham. You want to know how, how, how you can trust me? Because I am pledging that should the terms of this covenant be violated, you know, should what I say not come to pass, may I be like these, suffer the fate of these animals, right? May I suffer death. Me, the immortal God, the Uh, the almighty, infinite God. May all of that be stripped from me, and may I suffer death as a mortal. It's a very very jarring statement from from God that's being made by God. But it gets even more more, um, jarring uh, when when you think about the implications and exactly what happens. You see, there's something else that is odd about this story. Besides the presence of God appearing and passing between these pieces as a a flaming torch, uh, there's another odd thing about the story that you may not pick up on um, if you didn't understand the nature of these kinds of covenants. Uh, We actually have some historical record of this kind of covenant activity taking place in history um, in, in between kings, for example, uh, two warring kings that uh, decide they're going to make a treaty or a covenant, um, or a king and his subjects that will decide to go into enter into this kind of covenant. And what we see in history is every single time this happens, you either have both of the kings passing between the pieces together because they both have terms of the covenant that they're agreeing to, or you will have if it's a king and his subjects, sometimes only the subjects will pass through and not the king. Because why would the king stoop down to the level of the subjects? Yet what we have here is we have God alone passing between these pieces. 
God alone bearing the burden of this covenant. Not Abraham, which would have been very odd. Abraham fully intending and expecting that I would have, I'm going to have to walk through also. I'm going to have to keep up my end. And Abraham never walks through. Abraham never passes between these pieces. And so, again, how do I trust God? I have every reason to trust God. Abraham had every reason at this point to trust God. But again, the other question that comes from that is, how do I trust myself? How do I trust that I won't let you down, God? How, how do I trust that I will, that, that I won't betray you, that I won't falter? Well, God tells us, God tells Abraham, I got you covered. Right? You don't have to worry about that. I'm going to pass through these pieces for you. I will bear the burden for you. It's an amazing, uh, amazing statement that's being made by God, and it's a, it's a reminder, it's, it's a precursor of what the gospel is. Because what happens in this passage, what God is providing to Abraham, and what God provides to us is he provides a hope. He provides a hope. We find that centuries later, there was another day in history centuries later where darkness descended. Mark chapter 15 talks about darkness descending in the sixth hour uh, until about the ninth hour, and we see Jesus crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 53 talks about how Jesus was cut off from the land of the living. So what do we see here? We see that everything that God said would happen should this covenant between he and man be violated did actually happen, right? It, was, it wasn't just words from God. It wasn't just an empty promise given. It was a promise that God fully intended and knew ahead of time that he would have to keep. Should this covenant be broken, not by me, but really it's going to be, it's going to be the rest of us. It's going to be Abraham, his descendants, all of us by proxy uh, are going to violate are a part of that violation of that covenant that he has made with us, that relationship that he, has, that he has established with us. We are the ones who have, who violate that covenant. And God tells us, God tells Abraham, I will bear the burden. I will bear the penalty. I will suffer the fate of these dead animals that you see around you. The almighty, infinite God, I will be stripped of that I will be cut out of the land of the living, and I will die for you. That's a hope that we have, um, and in some ways we have an even strong, a stronger reason to have faith than even Abraham had. Abraham had the promise that this would happen. We actually have the reality that it did happen, and that gives us a great reason, I think, to trust in God. I want to uh, invite all of us to stand at this time. Um, for our prayer teams to uh, to take their places um, around the um, you know, a- around the room, we um, we need to realize that the problems that we have in life, pretty much all of them, come from a lack of trust in God. Pretty much, you know, any problem you can think of, you know, if if I trusted in God in this situation, then this problem would be significantly reduced um, 
And, and I would argue even it, w- it would go away. I wouldn't, this wouldn't be a problem for me um, if, I had, if I fully trusted in God. And so the question is, how do, I, how do I get my anchor down to the place where it is grounded in something and it's not just dangling in, in, in the water, right? How do I get past depending upon other things? Uh, whether it's a relationship or, or a circumstance or myself or, or anything else. How do I get past all of that, and how do I find myself anchored into something that is going to hold me? That's the question. And what we find when we get to the bottom, when we get all the way down there, we find, our, we find the promises of God that, are, that have the power to hold us. Um, and we find Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, you know, the one up, upon whom darkness descended— Jesus Christ, the one who, uh, who was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus Christ, who could not be, could not be dislodged. Uh, you know, an anchor cannot be dislodged by the most powerful current. Jesus Christ could not be thwarted or dislodged from his mission, despite Satan giving it everything he had, right? Satan throwing everything he had at Jesus, you know, he, he was beaten, he was, uh, he was humiliated, he was flogged, he was flayed, dr- uh, drained of his blood, and yet Jesus could not be moved from his mission, could not be thwarted. That's the anchor that we have. That's the anchor that is going to carry us through and it's going to keep us grounded. Whatever storm comes our way, whatever flood we find ourselves in. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we, uh, we're so very thankful for um, the gift of your Son. Uh, we're, we're, we're thankful for the promises that you have made to us, the promises that were, were fully realized through the death of your Son and, and the hope that we have because he, he rose again. We ask that when, uh, when storms come in our lives, when, when floods, floodwaters rise and, uh, and we have we don't know where to turn. We ask that we may find ourselves grounded in you and in your promises and that our faith in you may grow in those trying moments in life. And we ask that by, uh, through the power of the Spirit, we can, uh, we, can, we, can, we can find ourselves grounded in your promises. We thank you so much for your Son. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.